Welcome to Smashing the Plateau. We help you get unstuck so you can do what you love and get paid what you're worth consistently. I'm your host, David Schreiner-Khan. A lot of people think about this go big or go home strategy where you've got to have this huge launch. You've got to put yourself out there like you're a very large company already and have a lot of backing. I did it the total opposite. Today on episode 540 of Smashing the Plateau, I'm here with Catherine Venvano, the president and CEO of 24-7 VA. Catherine was able to pursue opportunity in an emerging market. Her experiences provide great guidance on how to respond to a world where disruption is all around us. I'm going to ask Catherine how small incremental steps were instrumental to her business success and much more. You can find out more about Catherine along with all of our previous episodes at smashingtheplateau.com. Right now, digital marketing is more important than ever to keep your business going. Your clients need to know you are here to help them deal with their challenges. Our friends at SiteHub have many resources to help your audience stay aware of how you can help them. Contact SiteHub today at yoursitehub.com. Now let's welcome Catherine Venvano. Catherine is the president and CEO of 24-7 VA, one of the most trusted remote staffing companies in the e-commerce industry. On any given day, you'll find Catherine managing her global team of over 40 right from her kitchen table, demonstrating one of the biggest perks of remote work. Before starting 24-7 VA, Catherine worked in the healthcare management industry. She has a master's degree in industrial organizational psychology and a PhD in research and evaluation methods with a cognate in applied statistics from the Virginia Polytechnic Institute and State University. Catherine resides in Berlin, Maryland, and enjoys traveling with her husband in her free time. Catherine, welcome to the show. Yeah, hi, David. Thanks for having me. I'm excited to be here. So I'm, I'm actually reflecting on um, this piece of your bio about the perks of remote work, and I'm wondering whether pre-coronavirus, uh, particularly professionals who many or most of whom who are still employed are working from home. And um, I think our whole world of work is probably going to be shifted quite dramatically as whatever the new normal emerges from this, this pandemic um, starts to emerge. But, uh, but that being said, you certainly have carved out your own way of working long before this. Exactly. Yeah, we've been a fully remote, fully distributed company now for, I've been with the company for six years, um, but, you know, it really started around nine, 10 years ago. Luckily, we are now in a position of trying to help these suddenly remote companies uh, figure out how to do business remotely, how to connect office mates with one another. And there's a lot of issues and, and techniques that, what, that we've been sharing. So, Catherine, how did you get into this business in the first place? Uh, yeah, it started uh, about 10 years ago. I retired from um, my corporate job, decided to raise our four children. Um, my husband is a serial entrepreneur, and um, he was looking for ways to scale his small businesses, but he couldn't afford the local labor rates. Uh, so we started looking at an overseas staffing model, and um, it just grew from there. We just became really good at at finding talent overseas, vetting them, hiring them, onboarding them, uh, nurturing them, creating relationships with them. And um, we felt that it would be a good business model to bring that 
our learnings to other small businesses. All right. So you did it for yourself first. Exactly. Right. Learned how to do it. Learned what what works, what doesn't work, and then started to teach others and help others do the same thing. Yeah. Yeah. It sort of started with, you know, some of our our friends who had small businesses and then the concept of 24-7 VA happened around 2013. And then we fully launched and we've been in business growing strong now for several years. And as you went through this transition from first doing it for your own business to Mm -hmm. doing it for other businesses, what gave you the idea that this might be something that you could offer besides, because this, I'm guessing this was different than the actual core business that you developed this process to support. Right. So this essentially is, I'm doing this for my business and now I could create a new line of business by using this process and for other people. What, yeah. what gave you the idea that it might be something that would be viable as a, its own business? Yeah, well, I think the emergence of e-commerce was happening at the same time, and I just saw a natural fit between remote staff and e-commerce because these business owners are remote themselves. They're they're remote with their um, with their customers. They don't most of them, the small ones at least, don't have a physical office space. Maybe they're using their garage for packaging. And um, but it just saw a very nice fit between the e-commerce industry and remote staffing. And so that's sort of what spurred the idea of taking it to public, essentially. Mm-hmm. And Catherine, what were some of the hypotheses that you needed to test to determine how valid this was going to be as a a model for its own business? Well, just, you know, could I recruit and source people for a variety of different job openings and skill sets? Um, you know, we were we were in the construction industry, so I knew exactly what we were you know, recruiting for uh, for that particular industry, e-commerce was a, a brand new industry to me. So I had to do a lot of learning. My first clients were really my teachers <laughs> in terms of the types of skill sets and the, and the types of work that would be required for the e-commerce industry. So one of the things I did very early on uh, was made sure that my pricing structure was low enough that it was extremely attractive um, because I knew there were other places these companies could go. And I knew that I was also still in a learning and development phase. Uh, So I priced my service at a point that I think to my customers at that point was too good to be true. And I searched for customers that wanted to help a business develop and wanted to be, you know, help share their experiences with me as I developed. So, you know, it was a win-win, you know, they achieved, you know, was able to have a service at a very low price point and I was able to learn along the way. Right. So actually you made it pretty clear to them that they were early adopters of your service. Oh, absolutely. And they got a price break as a result. Oh, yes. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's that's a really important strategy. And and not everybody thinks of that. Mm -hmm. Yeah. A lot of people think about this go big or go home strategy where you've got to have this huge launch. You've got to put yourself out there like you're a very large company already and have a lot of backing. I did it the total opposite. I was very humble 
I was very appreciative. I focused again on this this niche market of e-commerce. I learned in that market and you know subsequently now we're expanding to other markets, but it um, it takes time and you have to have customers that are willing that want to to help innovate and develop a new company with you. Yeah, so that really says a lot about your understanding of who makes the the ideal client mm-hmm. at different points in time in, in a business's development. Exactly. Right, because a lot of people think, well, I'm going to be serving e-commerce companies that have a given profile about who they are, what they sell, what kinds of problems they have. You're looking for something in addition, which is they're willing to maybe have a little greater patience with your own your own trial and error with what you're offering. Yeah, sure. We started essentially when I first took over in 2014 and um, I had five clients and one one staff member helping me. And we we had no contracts. So the first thing was, you know, working with our clients and and developing, you know, a contract that was protective for them and for me. Developing, you know, we developed training programs. Uh, some of my clients would allow me to tap into some of their training programs that they had purchased for me to learn, in which I could develop training programs for our VAs. We had, you know, the contracts that we put in place, and we still have them today. Um, they're short-term contracts. I never lock a client into a long-term contract. And I'm able to do that with my type of service. There are some services that you, you know, you have to have a longer contract in place. But with us, it was all about, you know, if we can sign up a client and and they know that they can cancel with seven-day notice, then it's, you know, it puts it the impetus on us to provide quality service to them, to show them the value that we're bringing. So so we work really hard to prove that value to our clients. So, you know, short-term contracts was a very important early business model, and it still continues today. Tiered pricing structures is another uh, important thing that we we introduced. You'll notice if you look out there at other companies like mine, many of them, you have to hire full-time. Uh, you have to hire full-time. So, there are a lot of companies out there that don't have full-time enough work to engage somebody full-time. So we have, uh, you know, you can hire as little as 10 hours a week. And that's, you know, really is about two hours a day uh, if you're looking Monday through Friday, which, you know, you can just fill up with simple, you know, file management or calendar management or making some, you know, scheduling calls for you. So, you know, being highly flexible, you know, these short-term contracts, you know, obviously, you know, subscription is important. Uh, that was one of the things early on. I didn't want to be a bill collector. So I asked my clients to activate PayPal subscriptions, um, and that still carries through to today. But, you know, that is not something that I knew was something that I would be good at. You know, I'm more of a people person. I'm not a bill collector. I like connecting people and dealing with relationships. Um, So just knowing that those payments were coming in and I wouldn't have to be reaching out and sending out invoices weekly uh, was an important thing for me. So do clients sign up for a a fixed tier that's a, a steady 
steady price yeah, over time? Yeah. And, and that's important for the VA side of it. We try to be as flexible with the clients with the number of hours per week that they can sign up for. But, you know, when you're looking, when you're on the flip side and you're the remote worker, you know, obviously you want some level of income security. So we do require that they, you know, say if they're going to sign up for 20 hours a week, that they are going to give 20 hours worth of work to that remote worker every single week. Um, That does not mean that they can't scale up and down. So, you know, our business model allows for uh, companies to look at us as a contingent workforce. So, you know, in quarter one and two, they may only need, you know, 10 or 15 hours a week. uh, But in quarters three and four, they want three and four, they want to ramp up. So we enable that so they can scale up, they can scale down. Um, Our job as a company is to ensure that that remote worker is promoted out to other clients. We want to maintain a full-time income level for our for our remote workers. So clients are scaling up and down. We, you know, clients are coming and going. We're continuing to constantly work to try to fill that remote workers' hours. So it's a lot to juggle, but it works. Yeah. So it it sounds like you have tried very hard to achieve some kind of balance between flexibility and stability. Yes. Exactly. Yeah. Which I'm sure is not so simple. <laughs> <laughs> no, it takes time. And, you know, we have account managers that will work with our clients to give them ideas of other things they can use their remote worker to do if tasks are, you know, if there's not enough work. We also, when we onboard clients, we ask them to think about longer term projects. So if in one week, you know, there's not enough work to fill up the 10 hours and the, you know, the remote worker has a couple hours left, give them a project that they can slowly work on over many, many weeks um, for when they have those extra hours that they can devote to something else. And typically most people have something like that, some long-term project that they've always been thinking about doing and never got to it. Uh, That's not ultra important, but it'd be great for it to get done. That makes a lot of sense. Mm -hmm. Catherine, what are some of the biggest issues that the kinds of clients you work with struggle with when it comes to deciding whether or not they should add some virtual staffing Mm -hmm. or maybe issues around how to do it? Yeah. So, um, you know, we've been doing this a long time. And so we feel that the experience that we bring to the table is extremely important in terms of structuring the whole process for the client. So number one, what I would say is go with a a staffing agency. Don't try to go to a freelance marketplace and do it yourself, at least for the first time. You know, after you've gone through it yourself and you know sort of the ins and outs that we will we will teach you, then by all means, if you want to go direct and, and hire off of Upwork or Online Jobs PH or the many other marketplaces that are out there, um, then feel free to do it. But I would first say, you know, start with a reputable agency that's been doing this for a long time. Number two, I would say think about the specific tasks that you want to delegate to a remote worker. And if you have those documented, that's great. If you don't have them documented, some of the best things that you can do coming to the table is just do a Jing video or a Loom video of yourself doing the task. 
because that it will it that helps so much in terms of the onboarding and the transfer of knowledge to the remote worker. You know, also just one of the big mistakes I see all the time is that our client, many clients want to provide flexibility to their remote worker. And so they'll say, well, you know, we'll ask, well, when do you want your remote worker working? And they'll say, well, just any time, you know, but any time they can, you know, work. It's only two hours a day. They can work anytime. You know, I'll check, you know, check their work when I log in. During the first, during the onboarding period, we really try to be very strict with the clients and that you have to please pick a time that you want your VA um, show. And VA and remote worker, I use them, you know, interchangeably. VA is just virtual assistant. But have a set time when you want them logging in. Uh, That allows us to monitor their their online presence during their shift for you. It gives you a chance to reach out to them. You know when they're going to be there. It also enables the remote worker to be able to reach out, know that you're there online working. And if they have a clarifying question, they can immediately ask you. And it just speeds the learning process, the task proficiency, and, um, and their productivity. Catherine, when do you think companies should not hire a remote worker and try to do something with some with someone who is local and present live? Yeah. Well, definitely if it involves any type of handling. Uh, a remote worker cannot uh, you know touch and feel your your office or your physical products. I have a lot of clients that, you know, have to me made the mistake in hiring remote workers to take product photos. Um, so they ship their products, you know, overseas. It gets to be cost prohibitive. It's just not worth it. So anything that you have to have somebody hands-on, I would definitely hire locally. Anything that can be done with an internet connection, a phone line, and a computer, those are the types of jobs or tasks that are easily offloaded to a remote worker. What are some of the jobs that people may not think about that could easily be transferred to a remote worker? Well, we we source for all skill sets. So, you know, obviously, ad, administrative tasks, um, that's, that's a, a give me. But a lot of people would not think about, you know, offloading something like website development. They would want to hire somebody locally that they can sit with and, and design design their website and um, and things like that. Uh, let me think what else. What about when it comes to understanding, like if, if it's an American-based company, understanding uh, American culture and American English? We have, we have, we get that question a lot. And one of our biggest sourcing areas is the Philippines. And it is one of the biggest sourcing grounds because English is the national language. And so, um, all the people in the country grow up through the school system learning English, but there are still cultural differences uh, and the way that English is spoken in the Philippines versus the way that it's spoken here. So we do, you know, obviously we do uh, have a lot of clients that hire content writers, but you should have, so you can hire a content writer and I fully support that. I do it myself with my digital marketing team. But a lot what a lot of companies will do is hire the editor from the US. So you get the bulk of the work done by an overseas content writer, and then you have an editor spend an hour 
at just, you know, ship shaping it up, getting it ready for, for release. So that, that's a way that you can save money where you have a combined approach. Yeah. One of the other issues that I hear about from people that may be reluctant to hire remotely is around the issue of trust. Mm-hmm. You know, our, our businesses are very personal to us and some of the information is really confidential and other parts of the information may not be technically so confidential, but it's very personal. So being able to trust other people, especially people that are half a world away, can sometimes be a challenge. It is. I mean, I went through it myself. And sometimes it takes a few tries before you find that person that you can really trust. You know, one of the things I would say is it takes time to build trust. Do the best you can on the front end during the selection process. Ask questions about, um, you know, give them situational questions where you might be able to notice that uh, that's the their response to that is not in line with, you know, what I'm looking for. Give them test tests, you know, to see how they perform. Have a company like, like ours uh, that is that security layer. Uh, and that's really what we do provide for both our clients and, and our VAs. The clients, we provide the security. We have that overlay where there's no personal accounts that are used by the remote workers. Um, It's all our IT department manages all of the accounts. There is, you know, when a VA uh, does leave, resign, whatever the client cancels, we do a full system sweep where we go onto their computers and remove all client-specific information, save that down to a folder and give ownership back to the client. There are technologies, luckily, nowadays for things like account logins, where you can use things like LastPass. There are a variety of others um, that our IT department will set up for the client and the VA. But trust is, you know, it's all about developing relationships, whether it's an in-office relationship or a remote relationship. You know, the only difference is that in-office is you feel like you have more security because you're actually face-to-face with the person. So in a remote setting, be as face-to-face as you possibly can. You know, do video calls all the time. Don't just do Skype chats or audio. You know, have that face-to-face interaction. Develop those relationships. Don't give out all the personal stuff until you that relationship's developed. You know, that's, I mean, really, I mean, the all the advice I provide, but a company you know, companies do help provide that security layer to clients. Yeah, that's for sure. Mm-hmm. Well, Catherine, we've certainly covered um, a lot of ground here today, and uh, you have a wealth of experience and expertise in remote staffing. So I want to thank you for sharing what you've shared. If anybody wants to go deeper with anything we've discussed and get in touch with you, where would they go? Uh, Yeah, we can go to our website, please. Our website is extremely educational. It's 24-7 VA, uh, and and that's spelt in a very unique way. (laughs) Uh, It's the number two, the number zero, then F-O-U-R, the number seven, and the V is in virtual, A is in assistant.com. But definitely please go to our website. You can also give us a call. Uh, we have local number 443-856-4882. Uh, we also have a toll-free number, 
833-HIRE-A-VA. <laughs> uh, pretty, pretty simple. Uh, you can also find us on Facebook, Instagram, LinkedIn. Uh, just search our company name and we'll pop up. Sounds great. And do you have a free gift for our audience? We do. We are waiving 50% of our setup fee. And the setup fee normally is a $99 setup fee that's only billed once you're satisfied with the service. So we we have a two-week provisional period where we work very hard to try to ensure that it's a good match between the client and the VA. Once the client feels that they have selected the right virtual assistant, we typically build that 99 setup fee that helps us recover some of the upfront costs. Um, but we are waiving 50% of that. So that's a $49, $49.50 savings. Sounds good. Well, Catherine, thank you so much for taking the time to join us today on Smashing the Plateau. My guest has been the president and CEO of 24-7 VA Virtual Staffing Solutions, Catherine Bonvano. Thank you again, Catherine, for joining us. Thank you, David, for having me. When you visit the Smashing the Plateau website at smashingtheplateau.com, you'll find a summary of each episode along with the links we mentioned on the show. Today, we learned how small incremental steps can lead to long-term growth and stability and much more. Please share this episode with friends and colleagues to help them smash the plateau. And remember, when you support our sponsors, you help us bring Smashing the Plateau to you for free. Thank you for taking the time to listen to our show. I'll see you on our next episode.